This is Transforming Culture, an MBC podcast. Welcome back to our next episode of Transforming Culture. It's been a great season so far, and we're excited to keep that going today with a discussion about disability with Pastor Paul Martin. As you'll hear in the session, Paul has personal experience walking through disability in his family, and I think that experience has created a real heart for ministry to all people. Paul is the senior pastor of Grace Fellowship Church in Toronto, Ontario. After leading the plant in 2000, he was involved in helping three other churches start in the city, and he hopes to be involved in launching many more. His passion for training leaders has led him to teach at local seminaries, as well as oversee a long-standing mentoring program for potential future pastors. He's been married to Susan for more than 25 years and loves to spend time with her and their four children. Our episode today is not as long as usual, but I am so impressed with how much information Paul was able to get into the time that he used. So be ready and enjoy. Let me begin uh, just by saying what I'm not. I am uh, not a disability specialist. I am not uh, trained in the academy on disability. Um, I am not an advocate for disability ministry. You may want to ask about that. Um, I am approaching this as a pastor of a local church who had my own life interrupted with disability through my son, Will, who's been with me here this week. Will was born with a genetic disability, genetic syndrome called Williams syndrome. We named him Will before we knew he had Williams syndrome because it gets confusing. Uh, Williams syndrome is a deletion of 26 genes on the seventh chromosome that results in some a whole array of different issues. People with Williams syndrome live a typical lifespan. Um, they're just wonderful people to be around. We kind of like Will. We're glad he's with us. Uh, kind of, yeah. Especially when he's quiet. <laughs> anyway, I, uh, what I'd like to do tonight, I'm, I'm approaching this a little bit spontaneously because I thought um, how you might react to some things might alter how, uh, what I'd want to give emphasis to. So I'm not preaching a text per se. just want to think through uh, disability, and I'll begin by trying to lay something of a theological foundation. Now, what I wanted my phone for is I wanted to read you my definition of disability. Right off the bat, if you're aware of the field at all, you will know that there's no agreed upon definition. Uh, In fact, most definitions anger somebody. (laughs) It's a very difficult thing to define. So I just made my own and I'm going to read it to you. Um, So I'm thinking of a disabled person as someone who in comparison to the average church member, right away you might be offended by the word comparison, and I understand why, 
someone who in comparison to the average church member is limited or impaired in her physical, cognitive, relational, or mental abilities. This may be either visible or invisible and may include a confluence of two or more of these elements in any one person. Now, there are gaping holes in that definition that I'm very aware of, but I don't know how to proceed with a conversation about these things without starting with some form of definition. So that's my acting definition. If you would like to improve it, I'm all ears. I would like to hear that. If you have your Bible, let me just have you turn quickly to Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to lay what I hope uh, is going to be a very thin, but maybe enough of of a theological foundation to help us have a good conversation about this. In Genesis 1 verse 27, words you are likely familiar with, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Read that once more. So God created man. Who's man? Man is male and female. We know that from a little triad of sentences here. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So to be, um, I'm going to do one more, sorry, I told you I was ill-prepared. ill-prepared. Uh, th- this is not very nice. I'm going to recommend another podcast. <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure, four or five years ago, I spoke at the Gospel Coalition Canada conference in a breakout session there called Disability in the Church or something like that. Uh, that was about an hour and 20 or so minute presentation. So it could, it could just sort of flesh out these things much more fully. Uh, what I'm trying to do here is just condense into some basic talking points. But if it's an area of interest to you, I would just, you can go online, find it. If you Google my name and disability and TGC Canada, it'll, it'll come up. And uh, this sounds weird. Um, I've, I, well, it's just been helpful for people. It's been useful. I'll leave it at that. So Genesis 1.27, God created man in his image after his likeness. John Kellner in his book, Dignity and Destiny, I think nails the idea of what's going on here. Man has been created with special dignity that it makes him distinct from the rest of creation and a special destiny that makes him distinct from the rest of creation. And what really was the sort of burning question for me when we received Will's diagnosis and started getting more exposed to the disability community, which is huge if you don't know it. Uh, if you were like me, I was oblivious. Uh, depending on what you read, 20 to 40% of the world's population is disabled. 20 to 40%. Which means if your local church isn't reflecting that, there's a whole community around you that you are not touching with the gospel. So. Our exposure to that community was going to a particular event where uh, it, we were listening to other people talk about their kids, and I, I was listening to people trying to define, or, or rather defend, the value of their child by things like, 
They're, they're a smile. They bring brightness into people's days. Like they, they were just searching for things that would make this child valuable to the world. And that really bothered me because I thought if, if our value is determined by our smile, our va- value is determined by supposed contribution, we have bought into the satanic lie of utilitarianism. If value is determined by contribution, then obviously the more you contribute to society, the more valuable you are. Likewise, the less you contribute to society, the less valuable you are. Hence, the German phrase, which I won't try to say in German, uh, but I will translate into English. It was a phrase that was plastered all around Germany in the late 1930s. Useless eaters. This was a term for the disabled community, in particular the cognitive disabled, cognitively disabled community. Useless eaters. And what useless eaters meant was, our country doesn't have enough food to feed everybody. Why are we feeding these useless eaters? They don't contribute anything. They just eat our food. What was born out of that was what eventually led to the extermination of six million Jews. Long before the Jewish people suffered under Hitler, Hitler got rid of the disabled community in Germany, his own people. You can read a book uh, such as uh, the one by Edwin Black called War Against the Weak. And Black does a remarkable thing. He just deals with facts. He's a, a kind of a newspaper reporter, and he, he wrote a thick book. He just, he just piles all the data together. It's the history of the sham science of eugenics that began in America, was funded by the Rockefellers and others who were buying into this idea that if you were a certain skin color or you had a lack of education or your teeth were pointed in a certain direction or some of the phrenological nonsense of the shape of your head or the bumps on it, that you were less of a human. And so in America and some in Canada, especially in Alberta, the systematic sterilization of human beings was begun. We don't want those people to give birth to more of their kind. The, the, the real goal was just to end their lives. But that was a little too far. The world wasn't ready for that. So we are ready for sterilization, forced sterilization. It happened in Canada in our Aboriginal communities. It happened in Canada in cities across the country. Many Canadians don't even know that. Eugenics led all that was being done there and the the Journal of Eugenics, all of that, was all being shared with the Germans. And the Germans took all that information and once Hitler was in power and there was no will amongst the populace to stop, you took ovens and you burned people. To Hitler, the Jews were just more useless eaters. Once that was all exposed at the end of World War II, 
The eugenics movement in North America crumbled because nobody wants to be associated with that. And it took on a new name called genetics. Uh, if you're young parents and you're hoping to have children, or maybe you went through this, um, you will see your doctor and your doctor may order a test and the test results may come back and they'll say you should do you know, another test because there's genetic indicators that there's something wrong with your child. Iceland very famously several years ago declared we're a Down syndrome free country. You know how you become a Down syndrome free country? You end the life of all the Down syndrome children in the womb in your country. That's how you get rid of Down syndrome. That is the only way to get rid of it. In the United States, the only statistics I can find, 70% of women who receive a Down syndrome diagnosis of the infant in their uterus end the pregnancy. 70%. I think that the local church has the answer to this. Because my Bible tells me that value is not determined by supposed contribution. You're in Genesis 1. Move ahead to Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Genesis 9, verse 6. The Lord says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For, here's the reason why, you put to death murderers, for God made man in his own image. What does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? Uh, when I was a seminary student, they told us this. They said, well, um, God is a relational being, and we're relational beings, so that means we're made in the image of God. And God rules, and we're given rulership, dominion, so that what's, that's what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. God is rational. He has logical thought. We are rational. We have logical thoughts. Therefore, that's what it means to be made in the image of God. Relational, rational, ruling. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. That sounded good to my ears, but you won't find it in your Bible. And you know who used that logic to exterminate people? Adolf Hitler. You're not rational. You're not relational. You cannot rule, therefore you are not human. You are not made in the image after the likeness of God. You are subhuman because of your disability. Contribution is not what determines value. Being able to be in relationship, being able to have dominion, being able to be rational is not what determines value. You know what determines value? One thing. The person who made you. That's it. God made. What's a person? A person is anyone who is of Adam's race. There cannot be persons and non-persons in the human race. From the very moment of conception, that is a person. It is a human. And the local church, increasingly, is going to be the only place where that 
Good news is trumpeted, which means the local church needs to be the model of both acceptance and giving space for the contribution of our disabled brothers and sisters. For the weak, for the elderly, for the disabled, for the marginalized, for the poor, 1 Corinthians 1.26 tells me that's whom God chooses, the weak of the world, the are-nots, the, the ones that are of little consequence. These are the ones he takes great delight in saving because they further display his glory. Uh, let me have you, I'm going to take you to two passages and, and try to move through them quickly. Go to the New Testament with me to James chapter 2. A little bit of theological underpinning. How does this work out in the life of a local church? James chapter 2. If I could find the book of James, that would just be awesome. My goodness. There we go. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? The local church can easily become a place where the sin of partiality is tolerated and embraced. You sit over here. You go in that room. You please don't come into our worship service because you are very distracting. And we need to be quiet. We need to listen to that preacher. I could read you letter after letter after letter from parents that I have read online and received of parents being asked to leave evangelical churches because their children are so disruptive. Really? That's what we're going to do? I could probably come up with a list of other examples of nobody there being willing to say those words. That's, that's, that's no good. But we'll certainly give a look down the nose every time something happens. Will make you feel like you don't belong here. That is simply the sin of partiality. One more passage, 1 Corinthians 12. This is not a passage that is talking about disability, but in my mind, it is one from which we can draw principles that immediately apply to disability. 1 Corinthians 12 teaches us that the church is not a place for only healthy, good, typical people. 
Here we go. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Point number one, we are one body. There is one body. There's not an able-bodied church and a disabled church. There is one church. And I'm going to presume for this little section here in 1 Corinthians 12, A, that God is very capable of saving, converting from death to life disabled people, all right? Which might be something you want to ask about. And secondly, I'm going to assume that's that's all we're going to think about is, is a born-again, cognitively disabled person. We're one body. Number two, God decides who makes up the body. Look at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, that means without exception, as he chose. You go down to verse 24. Uh, God has so composed the body, that phrase. I'm just pointing out God is the one who gets to decide who is part of the body. Number three, the body needs weak members. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. The implication of the metaphor is, well, an eye is, you know, you can't say I don't belong, and and, and if the whole body were an eye, like, no, we need all these composite parts. And the body needs weak members. Not only that, to be a body, there has to be this kind of diversity. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. To be a body. And Paul's talking here about the universal church. I get that. But what is true universally has to be true locally. For a local church to be a a reflection of the body of Christ, there must be diversity. Number five, in the church, nobody can declare anybody dispensable. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nobody can declare anybody dispensable. Number six, in the church, the people who appear most dispensable are actually the most indispensable. Verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Number seven, in the body, the less honorable members of our church must be honored. Verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, 
On the parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. The less honorable members of our church must be honored. The Number eight here, the, in the church, the unpresentable Christians must be treated with modesty. Paul does something very odd here. Look at what he says. Our unpresentable parts. That is what you think it is. <laughs> Your unpresentables. Our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Which means in the church, the quote-unquote unpresentable Christians, the weak ones, who are still indispensable, must be treated with modesty. In other words, we as a church community figure out how to help this person thrive in our community. And so where a more typically developed person, if he were to act in a certain way, we would approach him and say, that's not really appropriate. You should probably stop that. But to our cognitively disabled friend, who for no cause of his own is going to act in particular ways, we extend modesty. What is modesty? What's modesty in dress? It's sort of covering up for the good of others. And in the local church, this is what is to happen. It's like, we're, we're so happy you're here. You're part of us. That's all wonderful, but it doesn't go far enough. The ninth thing, in the church, the weakest members must be enabled to truly serve the rest in order for the body to be one. And here's the rub. God, this is verse 24, has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Now there's a word, phrase, a little phrase to pay attention to. I said earlier I'm not an advocate for disability ministry. One of my concerns about certain expressions of disability ministry is it can portray that we're just here to give to these people. And that is good, but that is only half good. My job as a pastor in my local church is to figure out how my sister, Rhonda, who's cognitively disabled, can function in my church so that she is contributing to the body in the church. And I was driving with a co-pastor the other day, and he was asking me who my good friends were in life. And I found myself suddenly saying, Rhonda. And that's not because I pity Rhonda. It's because Rhonda has found a way to contribute. It looks very different than other people. It looks very different. But oh, how I thank God for my sister. She ministers to me all the time. I love driving Rhonda home on Sunday nights. We sing hymns together. We try to see how many we can sing in the ride home. You say, oh, that's, that's, that's cute. No, it's more than cute. That's my sister ministering to me after a long day of ministry, looking for ways to encourage. You know, she's loopy other times. I mean, she says stuff that's just completely out of left field, and, and uh, we laugh about that, and she's just a part of our life and a part of our family. 
All I'm trying to say is that until you understand that our disabled friends need to be given a place where it's just a little bit more than handing out bulletins or greeting at the door, but they're actually a part of the life of the church. It's not, it's not a one-way relationship. It's not a, you know, I get so much, I go there to serve, but I get so much out of it. I don't really care that you get so much out of it. Are you finding ways for that brother, for that sister to minister to you? Lots we could say about that. What I want to reject is that the church is a place where only healthy, typical people can be a part of it and contribute to it. The image of God is not something you can lose. It's not something you bear. You don't find that image in that, that language in the Bible. We use it all the time, but it's incorrect. If you're human, you were born made in the image and after the likeness of God. Because of that, you have value. And the church needs to be the people that stand in the culture and say, these people have just as much value as anybody else. What the church often does is act out of condescension or fear, in worst case scenarios, cruelty. Thank you, Paul, for your perceptive insight into how to navigate disability. I was grateful for the way that you engaged with it all on such a personal level, humbly and acknowledging that we all have a lot to learn and keep learning as we go forward together. I'll turn now to our Q&A session recorded last summer at NBC during week six of the summer season. You'll notice a bit of noise during the podcast. I think one of our mics was definitely acting up, but we didn't feel that it took away from the whole experience. So we've done some light editing and look forward to you hearing the Q&A with Paul Martin. Paul, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for speaking. Uh, I know that we recorded and we are recording right now in the summer at NBC and our listeners will be hearing this probably in late October, early November. Uh, but I just wanted to say off the top, thank you for going after a subject that is often forgotten in the church. Uh, it's something even as we were listening to people speaking afterwards tonight, uh, there's a lot of kind of inconvenience that people feel around disability. We desire, as you said, perfection on the stage, glitz and glam, and we want everything to look good. And that isn't true always, uh, regardless of disability, right? Um, we can have things go wrong on stage all the time, but there does seem to be this fear of those with different abilities than us making things look quote unquote bad. And I really appreciate it tonight that you went after that. Um, you talked about that a little bit in the Q&A with the audience, and hopefully we'll touch on that a little bit here as well tonight. But just off the top, I'm wondering, uh, you know, I mentioned it when I was talking to some audience members, language is really important when it comes to speaking about disability. Um, I, I myself get confused sometimes, you know, do I use the word accessible or handicapped or disabled or differently abled? I wonder if you can talk a little bit what it's like, um, you know, how can we wrestle with language well, both, both on the side of, you know, sometimes we are experiencing disability ourselves or someone in our family or close circle of friends, and we hear language used incorrectly. And there's the other side where people are saying, hey, I, I really want to use language well, but I don't always get it right. What do I do? How much does language actually matter? And how can we kind of do that well in a God-loving way? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. And I think, you know, my answer to that would be similar to um, so many issues in the local church that God in Ephesians 4 told us that we have been given this grace to speak the truth in love. Hmm. And so we're very capable of uh, walking up to someone and saying, I don't actually know what would be the best way to address your child or speak of you. 
um, to just start asking questions in humility. I, I find most people that with a disability are very glad to talk about what their disability is. Um, they're, they're glad to explain things. They're, they're happy to um, tell you what language they prefer. They're honored by the fact that you're actually speaking to them and asking them. Uh, if our fears are what control us, that's generally when we're going to stumble over words, we're going to say the wrong things, um, we're, we're going to be so worried about offending that we never approach the person. So I think it's just the old biblical values of love and humility. If you walk with love and humility, you can ask those questions. And uh, I think everybody I've met, especially in the church, uh, who has disability in their family or is disabled themselves, would be just very pleased to give you, here's, here's what would serve me. To, to the other thing you're asking, uh, I'll tell you a little anecdote of uh, going to meet with, uh, at our local, local grocery store, the manager of the store, just to explore if there was opportunity for my son to have a job there. And as I you know, pulled him aside, said, I'm not here to complain. Uh, I'm just here. It's a good start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm thinking if you're a manager, you probably get a lot of that. Yeah. And uh, just, you know, thanked him. The store was here. And uh, I said, I have a son with a cognitive disability. And uh, I think he could, you know, do really well. He's done a work program at his high school. And he goes, what? And I said, I have a son with a cognitive disability. He goes, oh, one of those. No, I got enough of those. They, I got enough cart boys. And he walked away. And that was deeply offensive to me uh, yeah. for my son to be called one of those. It was deeply offensive that he thought the only thing my boy could do was push shopping carts um, and to be brushed off in that manner. And it was so shocking to me. I just stood there. I, I didn't know what to say. Uh, I wish that I had taken the opportunity to lovingly correct um, or, or inform uh, a member of my community that that's actually very inappropriate language and that's going to harm you in your career, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And I could really make this awful for you, but I'm not that kind of person, so I'm not going to do that, but let me help you. So I, I just think these things are going to happen in the world, and the goal is to respond as a Christian. Hmm. Yeah, speaking the truth in love uh, comes into play a lot, I think, in the world nowadays, because we have a lot of things that are untrue about the world. Uh, and at the same time, sometimes Christians have missed the mark on the love piece, right? And it's right. done out of a position of fear um, or a defensive position as opposed to a position of just openness and love. Um, and, and it kind of connecting to that, you talked about uh, this evening a little bit in the Q&A, so I can't quite remember if it was during your talk or during the Q&A, but you talked about being image bearers of God, like we're all image bearers of God. And I think that was really helpful because I think it reminds us that the tasks we do, the way we act, don't define us uh, or, or our children or those around us who are experiencing disability or not. Um, and yet, just just as you said now about that anecdote where you know the, the manager says, like, I've got enough of those. Mm -hmm there's this desire sometimes to like shush people or push it under the rug or ignore it. And yet someone's an image bearer of God. They've got dignity and self-worth and all of these things that we need to explore. Can you talk about how maybe we can advocate outside of just speaking the truth in love and maybe to continue this discussion about this manager, sometimes it is appropriate to say, Hey, that was hurtful. And here's how this is going to be difficult if we don't resolve this better and sometimes it does involve going to the manager's manager, the manager's manager's manager, the big boss or whoever to say, uh, as someone experiencing disability or as someone who's supporting someone experiencing disability, this is a problem. Can we, should we ever do that as Christians? Is there time and place for that? Uh, or does speaking the truth in love just look like going as far as trying to love, but not pushing beyond where it might be inappropriate or, you know, people are nervous. Nobody wants to be, a lot of people I would hope don't want to be a problem causer. Right. 
especially when we're Canadian. Correct. Uh, we, Sorry, we, in we, advance to anyone who hears this answer and is upset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't mind talking about what we hate about that person. We never want to talk to the person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I just think every situation is going to be different. Of course. Yeah. And, and, you know, and even in my own situation, I'm like, if I speak, do I want to speak to this issue? Because maybe I want a future for my son here. And so I'm trying to navigate what's, what's prudential here. What's wise mm. in this particular situation. Uh, but at no point can I find anywhere in my Bible where I'm allowed to stop loving people. If Jesus told me to love my enemies, that it, that covers everybody. Yeah. And and so if I have to love my brothers and sisters and I have to love my enemies, there's there's no gap where that stops. And so if I can't speak truthfully in love, then I ought not speak. Hmm. Yeah, and it's it's tough because we want to be good advocates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really like that definition that, you know, if it, if it stops being loved, then we have to stop. Mm-hmm. And then we need to see where Lord, the Lord is going to lead us next. Um, one of the other things you talked about tonight, and uh, you kind of answered a question for someone in the Q&A, uh, you know, they were asking, and, and I'm going to kind of rephrase and ask the question again. Uh, when it comes to people with disabilities uh, of all sorts of different kinds, they are entitled to, as image bearers of God, to be people of faith as well. And yet sometimes it can be difficult to understand whether someone conceptually, cognitively understands what Jesus did on the cross and all of that. Um, Do you have any wisdom, you know, let's say there's a parent or an aunt or an uncle who's genuinely concerned for the eternal salvation of a child uh, or a a loved one who's older and maybe has a cognitive impairment of some kind. How do we walk along that road? Again, knowing every situation is different. Um, Do you have any encouragement for them or any tips, tricks, you know, that kind of stuff? (laughs) No tips and tricks. Ah, too bad. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Here's Paul's top 10 list of uh, not uh, not even close. (laughs) But I I would say, I think this is where, you know, God has gifted local churches with pastors, pastors slash elders, bishops, stewards, uh, whatever term you want to give them. And those pastors, part of their responsibility is to discern and help the membership of a church discern, is there saving faith here? And so pastors are, you know, saddled with that responsibility when someone in the church is expressing faith um, and they need to learn to ask the right kind of questions. And it's not just, you know, genetic disability. Um, I can think of a brother in our church um, who spent the early part of his life doing a lot of hard drugs that did a lot of cognitive damage I can think of another who was uh, in a, a physical injury, brain damaged. And so you're dealing with those people already in a different way. Right. The ability to understand more, um, I can't think of the right word, but uh, I'll say ethereal sort of uh, lofty concepts of faith and repentance. Those, those are not concrete ideas, right? That, those mm-hmm. have to be explained and those have to be grasped in a particular way. So much like when I'm explaining faith and repentance to an eight-year-old, I'm going to have to explain faith and repentance, uh, the two sides of conversion, to um, a 35-year-old with a cognitive disability or the 50-year-old with uh, brain damage. That's fine. That's my job as a pastor. Mm. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's why I think God in the ideal has pastors of a church, elders of a church, because what often happens for us is uh, one or two of us will participate in that. And then it's a discussion amongst us as elders and we're moving slowly. We're asking a lot of questions. We're praying. We're asking for the Lord's help. But in every case, I feel like the Lord has just clearly directed us along the way. It's just been slower. It's been more complicated and it's required, I think, a little more humility and dependence on our part as pastors. 
I'm going to go to the other end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Similar question. Uh, There's an audience member tonight who was talking to me after and said it's difficult sometimes with um, people who are older and maybe entering into cognitive impairment, Mm -hmm. not because of a genetic or an acquired disability, but just we get old and things change, um, you know, in our brains. Um, And we were just talking about the idea of, you know, what if someone starts saying things that are just untrue about faith at an older age? Mm-hmm. Do we just have to kind of take those and, or do we gently try to correct grandma out of love or do we just let it happen because we know that there's cognitive changes happening? Um, and I think for this particular person, there was some, you know, family history or something like that. And we didn't get into all the details, yeah. but I was very interested to, to think through, okay, we often think that cognitive abilities are static, you know, like mm-hmm. this is how much and no more. And yet Wait the brain is a beautiful, years. yeah. <laughs> you asked your wife how old you were tonight. So I think, I think we're aware that things change. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm only 20 years behind you, so I'm not going to say anything in case this ends up being a podcast too many people listen to. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, you know, is there, is there a point to that? I guess is what this audience member was asking. Like, should I try to correct my grandma? And I thought, yeah. oh, that's tough. I, so... Uh, when I've spoken on this issue, I try to speak beyond the realm of disability to the elderly, to the marginalized, mm-hmm. to the poor, uh, to the uneducated, that I think all these same principles apply. So um, I was recently at a funeral of um, an older woman, loved the Lord her whole life, but um, had dementia in her last couple of years. And I was so comforted. I wasn't performing the funeral, but the pastor who did uh, looked to the daughter who would, had been the primary caregiver and said, I just want you to know that was the disease talking. That wasn't mom. That wasn't mm. her. That was the disease. And I think he was right to say that. That is, that is a physical change that is happening in the mind, uh, in the brain of that person, which is a degenerative disease. So when she's lashing out and saying things that are completely contrary to her whole Christian testimony, that ain't her. That's the disease talking. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah, what, what better place is there than the local church to have members who are going to say things that sometimes don't make sense, sometimes are not aligning well with reality, but we all understand they're at the later stages of their life and this is what happens and it's okay. We're, modern culture is really the first culture that is not elevating, like all cultures elevated the elderly. It, it was such an achievement to grow to old age. Mm-hmm. And, and somehow we, we, we want to put our elderly in buildings. We want to shut them out of our lives. Uh, and I think, you know, we're, we've been given this great gift of people who have lived a long time. Um, I'm around a number of elderly people. I could tell you the top five stories they're going to tell me every time I'm with mm-hmm. them. I've heard them numerous times. And I assume I will do the exact same thing. Yeah. And I hope there are people in my life who will smile and nod and act like it's the first time and take great interest in me as a human being who's been made in the image and after the likeness of God. And my value is all there. It's not, again, it's not in my contribution. Yeah. I already start a lot of conversations with, I may have said this story before. <laughs> I don't know. I like to tell stories too much, but you're kidding. I haven't picked that up at no, all. not at all. We don't know each other for more than 48 hours. And here we are. Uh, you know, there was a, there's a story tonight that a woman told about a child uh, who has a disability. Uh, who is in the church sanctuary during the service. And um, this child was running around quite a lot, apparently in and out of doors and things like that. Um, and, the, and the question she posed to you, which I'd like to ask you again now, you know, does the pastor acknowledge that or do they just ignore it as if it's not happening? Mm-hmm. Because there's two sides to this. And I really appreciated the question because uh, <clears throat> both of them are dignifying in their own way. Mm-hmm. You know, if I ignore this, I'm essentially telling this, I could be telling this family, 
your child's okay. We know that there's something going on here and we're not going to point you out and single you out and, and make you feel othered because your child has a disability or, you know, is on the spectrum, whatever the story might've been there. And on the other side of things, if I acknowledge them and say, you are still loved despite your child's decision to act out in this exact moment, which they don't have control over, maybe, you know, all mm -hmm. of this, both of those can be dignifying in a way. Uh, and I feel like the answer you're going to give me is it depends, <laughs> but here we are and I'm asking the question. Well, I thought what was very interesting in her question is that it was a guest preacher. Yes. And I been a guest preacher on many occasions and things have happened under my watch and my general take would be I'd probably do what that guy did and just figure this church understands who this person is and what's going on in ways that I don't and I could see myself speaking to it in ways that would be very hurtful because I think drawing attention to it even out of love could be very offensive in some ways to a certain kind of person but if it was my own church and was taking place. I hope that whoever was preaching, whether that was me or one of the other pastors, that we would have enough knowledge of those members and of that child in this case to know what would be most helpful in that moment. And I could see all kinds of different potentialities of maybe just saying, hey, to our guests, um, this is Bobby and we love him and this happens sometimes and it's okay. And I'm going to give us just a minute to help get mom and dad to get him settled. Or I might keep on preaching because that to that family is going to be the most useful thing. And I know them enough to know that. So I think it's a difficult question to answer because it would not only depend on the child, but it would depend on the family and on the church. And, you know, I preach from a lot of the Bible. I'm quite amazed. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about the marginalized, the poor, um, who I would, the way that Solomon primarily in, in Proverbs is using that word. He's, he's including the disabled in that category. And, and what he stresses is, you know, is not the Lord the maker of them all? So at some point, the more you can teach your church, your church community, that God is the maker. Uh, God said to Moses, do not I, you know, make men blind, mute, and deaf. I'm intimately involved in this. I am mm -hmm. sovereign over this. Mm -hmm. And so if your people understand that, this is, it's John 9 is in our Bibles for such an important reason. Was this man born blind because of his sin or his parents? Jesus says neither. It was for the purposes of God. So you have to have a robust theology <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. that's understanding that the sovereign God is working in particular ways and He's, he's not just doing things in the life of that child or that family. He intends to do things in the life of that church as they're included in that family. Mm -hmm. There's things we have to learn. There's things we have to adjust to and adapt to. I, I am 57 and there's, you know, I, I have opinions on the way things should go. You live right. long enough, you form your opinions. Yeah. And I pastor a very multicultural church that has really undone a lot of my opinions. And I had to realize those are preferences and opinions. They're not gospel. I don't find them right. in my Bible. Right. I want to plant my flag on what my Bible tells me and just stay there. There's a fairly well-known pastor, David Platt, mm -hmm. um, who I was listening. I, you know, not as much anymore listening to podcasts in general, but I would listen to his audio, his sermon podcasts. And there's there was a a woman in his church. I don't know her name, uh, who had an intellectual disability of some kind and would often call out during his sermons. Uh, and I thought, oh, this is so interesting. I didn't really pass judgment on it. I mean, we. Growing up, there was a, a child in my church who had a disability. And so it just is, like you said, a part of everyday normal life. 
Uh, but what a beautiful moment it was. And I actually went to, ended up going on their website and watching her testimony because she chose to be baptized. Mm. And he shared her story and he referenced the fact, he said, if you're listening to our podcast, you have likely heard her call out before. And I went, oh, this is her. <laughs> and I, I took the time to go look it up. I think it was on there for some reason. I can't remember all of it. But just what a beautiful testimony it was that they had loved this woman through mm-hmm. everything that she had gone through. Um, and uh, then I, I felt like a participant in her story a little bit as well, right? Because, yep. and I, she had been given dignity in all sorts of ways. And then to hear her baptism story was really incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was neat. My, my last question for you tonight, and, and this is maybe a bit of a gimme considering your experience and all of the wisdom you've already brought. Um, what is the church missing out on when we exclude people with disabilities from church life? And I, you know, that sounds like it could be a negative, but I'm really looking for the optimistic, the hopeful to encourage our listeners, you know, mm-hmm. here's the opportunity that's before us when we choose to include people who are differently abled. Yeah. So if I'm understanding 1 Corinthians 12 correctly, and I think I am, um, then you are missing out on the most indispensable members of your church, mm. which means your local church is functioning disabled. Mm. Your your local body is in lack. You are you are not all that you should be or could be. And that also means if you're actively resisting um, 20% of the 30, 40% of the world's population being a part of your local church, I think you're walking in rebellion against God. Mm. So you need to think really carefully about who the Lord saves and who he wants in his church and whether or not it's his church. And uh, I, I love what Peter wrote to co-shepherds, co-elders, shepherd the flock of God among you, the, 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 the flock that is your lot. God is the one who determines that lot. He brings the people in. He saves them. They don't save themselves. You don't save them. God saves them. He brings them in. He makes them part of his universal body, the eternal church. Uh, but then he brings them into your local church. So your church is missing out. I couldn't tell you what the specifics are because I don't know any particular local church, but I know what my church gains from our disabled members. Uh, So I know that we gain an awareness of people around us that we probably wouldn't have because most of us would be fearful or standoffish of people in our community. But because I have relationship with sisters and brothers in my church with disability, I've grown very comfortable around people with disability. Mm. That's the only reason why. So I know that I've gained that. I know that I've gained profound insights into God's word from people with cognitive disability who hear the word read or preached and respond in ways with observations I've never made, even though I spent, I was a guy in the study all week. They're revealing to me things in God's word that I just had not seen because of their unique perspective. I imagine the list could go on and on. Uh, but I know personally, maybe I'd want to end there, what I, what I would be missing without my disabled brothers and sisters is friends, our friends in the Lord, mm. and just brothers and sisters that are different than me, but who minister to me in all kinds of different ways. And I don't mean by minister to me that, you know, they make me feel good about myself or the one thing I, I most despise hearing is like, you know, it shows me how hard my life could be. It's like, no, really? Is that, that's your view yeah. of my son? Is yeah. uh, It shows you how hard or different your life could be. you all of a sudden? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, no, these people have things to teach us and, and to, to help us. And, and there's so much to offer. So I think that my, my long answer to your, to your 
question is is just that that God God has purposes. Maybe maybe I'll just sort of tie, try to tie a ribbon on it by saying uh, the older I get, the more I delight in the providence and sovereignty of God, and I want to create all kinds of margin for God to work in in ways that I would never sus- expect or plan. So I will do all the things he's revealed in his word that I need to do. He's told me to preach the word. He's told me to pray. He's told me to shepherd his people. But then I just want to leave it wide open over here for him to work. And often the ways in which he's working are through my disabled friends. What, what's their contribution going to be? Contributions I can never come up with. I don't want to slot you in a program or put you in a quote-unquote ministry. I want you to be part of this body and then see how the Lord uses you with all of us. Incredible. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time tonight. Uh, we just so value your contribution and thank you for being an advocate for those who are disabled. Um, you know, you said at the beginning you're not an expert, but you are someone who represents and gives dignity to people who uh, have dignity inherently within them because they're image bearers of God. And I'm just so grateful that you've shone a magnifying glass on that to show it to other people. We are praying for you in your ministry. Thank you for being here at NBC and uh, just really grateful for all that you do. Thanks for the time, brother. That's it for today's episode. Again, our apologies for the audio issues. We're hoping that's the last of it for this season. Pastor Paul, thank you for sharing so deeply with us about your life and your story. It means a lot to us that you are not only talking the talk, but walking the walk at the same time. We're looking forward next week to having Pastor Sundar Christian here to talk about how we engage with the, quote, social gospel and what that means for us in our everyday lives. Sundar was my church's pastor as I grew up, so I'm very excited to interview him, and we hope that he does not disappoint. If you've enjoyed listening to today's episode, please consider sharing with a friend, subscribing on your favorite podcast app, or following along on NBC's social media pages. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Transforming Culture is a production of Muskoka Bible Center. It's hosted and produced by Luke LaRock. Editing, sound design, and mixing by Abhishek Varghese. Audio recording by the Summer 2023 AV Team, and the theme song is Citizens by John Guerra. Graphic design by Christina tebakel Holtz. See you next week for another episode of Transforming Culture.